0: thank you pastor it's a joy to get to be here and i love church on the rock north thank god for you and for miss beverly and the whole team and what a wonderful day we've had amen and uh, you know in the weeks to come there were children that came to know christ this morning and they're going to get baptized and then what begins to happen is a ripple effect that begins to just take hold all the way up really through easter i believe you'll see many many people come to christ and then at Easter, and every Sunday is Friend Day. Amen? I want you to take your Bible tonight and turn to Luke chapter number 15. Luke's Gospel and chapter number 15. Now this morning I shared with you a bit of my testimony. I wasn't raised in church. I was raised in a bar. I didn't get saved in a church house. I got saved in a jailhouse. And because of that, everybody look this way because of the way i came to know christ and the way i was raised i've always loved sinners i love sinners church people drive me crazy but i love sinners i've never had a problem and you know one of the things that characterized the ministry of jesus was an intense love for lost people jesus loved sinners and sinners love jesus You know, in all my years of ministry, I've been in the ministry now almost 33 years this fall, full time, and in all those days, I've never had prostitutes or I've never had drug addicts, I've never had homosexuals, I've never had any of those kind of people give me any problem at all. You know who I've always had problems with? Church people. And you know, when you read the Gospels, you find out something very, very uh, strange, and that is that... It wasn't the lost people that gave Jesus a hard time. For example, look at Luke chapter number 15 and look at verse number 1. Now look at this. Then drew near to him all the publicans and sinners because they wanted to hear him. In other words, all the people that were outcast and looked down on and marginalized and thought of as less than, those were the people who Jesus always seemed to attract. And it made, it always made the religious people get uptight. Look at verse 2. And then the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees and the scribes, I call them the parasites and the scabs, amen? Amen. You know who these people are. These are the religious people, listen, who think they have God all figured out. You know what I've learned in my 35 years of following Jesus? That some religious people are the meanest people you'll ever meet in your life. You know, some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life go to church every Sunday. Isn't that something? And I always run into them. You know, Pastor, I'm in four, I was in 47 different churches last year, and I can always spot religious people. They always sit, you know, in the same place. They usually sit about, about you better move over, amen? They usually sit about right here, since there's nobody sitting there. And uh, they always have the same look on their face. You know, they've been sitting in that same chair for 30 years. If you try to sit there, accidentally find, wind up being there, they'll bite your head off in Christian love. Because that's where they sit. Amen? I mean, they stand there, they got a face so long, it's looked like they could stand straight-legged and lick buttermilk out of a gopher hoe and never move an inch. Amen? I mean, they just just miserable. I pastored a lady like that in a big church that I pastored. She was the meanest lady that I've ever met in my entire life. I'm serious. I mean, I could never do anything to please her. If I preached 40 minutes, she said I was long-winded. If I preached 20 minutes, she said I was a compromiser. If I got a haircut, she said I was a skinhead. If I let my hair grow, she called me a hippie. I mean, there's nothing I could do to please her. Every time I saw her, I wanted to say, Sister, stand up and lead us in a word of criticism. she was just, you know what I'm talking about. Now, Jesus had those same kinds of people that followed his ministry everywhere he went. Matter of fact, every time you see Jesus teaching or preaching or healing the sick, the scabs and the parasites, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people who built memorials to what God did in the past but resisted what God was doing in the present, they were always there. They didn't come to learn anything because they didn't think they could be taught anything. They didn't come to be blessed because they, they, they weren't into being blessed. They didn't come to get healed. They didn't come to see the kingdom of God breaking in to the now, into time and space. They always came to murmur and criticize and backbite and try to catch Jesus in some kind of a fault or a misstep. And this is no, this is no exception. The Pharisees and the scribes, verse number 2, murmured. And here's what they said. Here was their complaint. Look at this. They said, this man receives sinners and he even eats with them. He's breaking all of our religious customs and our religious forms and our religious ceremonies and all of our traditions and he's hanging out with a bunch of sinners. Can you believe that? And when Jesus heard them, he decided to tell them a little story. And here's his story. He spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, if he had a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost, look at the next word, until, everybody say until, until he finds it lost and found. And when he had found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And then verse 7, Jesus said, I say to you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over ninety-nine just self-righteous scribes and Pharisees which think they need no repentance. Can you imagine how the story was going over at this point? Verse number 8, he says, let me take it a little further. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until, everybody say until, until she finds it and when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Dad, give me what belongs to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the young, young man gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living and when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs listen the boy wound up doing for a total stranger what he didn't want to do for his own daddy which was get a job and go to work reminds me of a teenager that was in our church and uh He got so upset with his dad. He said, I don't want my dad telling me what to do. I don't want my mom telling me what to do. By the way, that was the same lady who had a teenage daughter. She got so frustrated. She came to me. She was frustrated. I mean, things were going bad. She said, Pastor, I now understand why some animals eat their young. I mean, she was frustrated. And the son said, I don't want my dad telling me what to do. I don't want my mom telling me what to do. I don't want the, my coach telling me what to do. I don't want people at my work. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. I'm going to run away and join the army. He was an intelligent young man. So he went into this man's field and began to feed the pigs. And verse 16 says, he got so hungry that he would have filled his belly with the husk, the pig slop that the swine did eat, and no one would even give that to him. And verse 17, and when he came to himself, that's called repentance, he changed his mind. When He came to Himself, He said, How many hired servants of My Father's have bread enough and even to spare, and I'm starving to death. I will rise. I'm going to get up and go home to My Father and say to Him, Daddy, I've sinned against Heaven and before You. I'm not worthy to be called Your Son. Just make Me one of Your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. Look at this. But when he was yet a great way off, his daddy, who I believe went looking for his son every day, saw him from afar off and ran and had compassion and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his daddy, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring the best calf, the best robe, and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found everybody say lost and found let us eat and be merry and now when the elder son was in the field he came and drew near to the house now this is the whole point of the story right here it's not really about sheep or silver or this son it's about this sibling And when the elder brother was in the field, he heard the party going on, and he was angry. Verse number twenty-seven. He said to him, "Your brother has come. What? What is all this noise?" And a servant said, "Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound." And he was angry, and he wouldn't go to the party. Therefore, his father came out and entreated him, begged him, pleaded with him, and answered, and he answered his father and said, I've been with you all these many years. I've served you. I've never transgressed your commandment. And yet you never gave me a goat so that I could have a party with my friends but as soon as this son of yours came home who has devoured his living with whores, you kill for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, don't you understand? You're always with me. And all that I have is always there for you. And it was right for me that we should make merry. Have a party. Be glad. Because this your brother was dead and now he's alive again he was lost and now he is found say lost and found what is Jesus trying to teach us in this story well let me suggest at least three things you ready number one he's trying to tell us look at me that people are valuable people are valuable Now in these days in which Jesus told this story, sheep were a very precious commodity. And most shepherds did not own the sheep that they took care of. The sheep were owned by a a man who had a lot of land and he had many shepherds and a lot of sheep. And he would give an allotment of sheep over a shepherd. And unless an animal devoured one of the sheep, the shepherd became personally responsible for the value of that sheep. And so when this shepherd lost one of his sheep, he didn't say hey that's no big deal i got 99 more no that sheep was so valuable to him and so important and so precious that he left the 99 with some of his other shepherds and he went and he searched and he went and he and he until he did whatever it took until he found that sheep and put it on his shoulder and brought it home because that sheep was valuable The silver coin that that young lady lost was no doubt part of her dowry. When a young Jewish girl got married her daddy gave her a headband and on that headband there were ten silver coins and those silver coins served as kind of a dowry. They served as protection in case the husband died or in case there was some kind of a divorce or some kind of a mess up in the marriage and the girl would not be totally destitute. And so when she lost that one silver coin it was very important to her. She lit a candle. She swept the house. She searched everywhere until She found it. But did you know this story is not about sheep and this story is not about silver? This story is about people. And what Jesus was trying to say to these Pharisees and scribes listen, listen, watch this who were so full of self righteousness that they had come to the conclusion that they were better than other people because they hadn't gone through some of the experiences of life. That some of the prostitutes and some of the druggards and some of the beggars had gone through that brought them to those dire situations, caused them to be marginalized by all of society. These scribes and Pharisees got it in their mind and in their heart that somehow these people were of less value and we're the important ones. And why would Jesus waste His time on people like that? One of my favorite preachers is a man named Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo's written a great book called The Kingdom of Heaven is a Party. Tony Campolo tells a story about flying to Honolulu, Hawaii to preach. And because of the time change and the jet lag when he got to Honolulu, got in his hotel, he woke up at two o'clock in the morning and he was wide awake and he was hungry and so Tony Campolo says that he put on his clothes and got in the elevator and went down to the bottom of his hotel and he went out on the streets of Honolulu in search of something to eat and he finally found a greasy spoon restaurant at two o'clock in the morning you walked in there was nobody there just the man that was serving as the dishwasher and the cook and the waiter and the everything and it was just him and Campolo and they struck up a conversation and Campolo got something to eat and about three o'clock in the morning tony campolo said three girls from the streets came in it was very obvious to him that they were prostitutes they went over into the corner and they ordered their food and they were talking and campolo overheard their conversation as one girl said well tomorrow is my birthday And her friend started laughing and said, well, what do you want us to do? Throw you a birthday party? And the young lady who Campolo later found out her name was Agnes. Agnes said, well, I've never had a birthday party. The girls finished their food and went back onto the streets to sell their bodies to get enough money to be able to make it another day. And when they did, Campolo said to the man, do you know those girls? The man said, oh yeah, they come here every morning at three o'clock, you know they're prostitutes and Campolo said yeah I figured that and one of them I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday and that she's never had a birthday party and the man said oh yeah that's Agnes she's a good girl she's just lost her way and Campolo said what would you think if I got a birthday cake and some balloons and some banners what would you think if we threw Agnes a birthday party? And the man said, "Well, I think it'd be great." And Campolo said, "What well, do you think they'll be back?" And the man said, "Oh, they're here every morning, three o'clock in the morning. This is the only place that's open." And so Campolo hurriedly the next day got a birthday cake, a big cake with "Happy Birthday, Agnes" on it. And Campolo got balloons, he even got a banner that said "Happy Birthday." And the news somehow got out on the streets. And the next morning at two thirty in the morning, Campolo showed up with a birthday cake and the balloons and the banners and the The place was filled with over 20 prostitutes campolo came in and they lit the candles and put candles on the cake and at three o'clock just like clockwork agnes came in with her two friends and to her surprise all of her friends were clapping and singing happy birthday and then somebody said blow out the candles agnes and agnes blew out the candles and somebody said cut the cake agnes And Agnes held the cake close and said, started crying and said, I'm not going to cut this cake. I've never had a birthday cake before in my life. And suddenly the room was full of tears and sobbing. And Campolo said, Maybe we should pray. And so he led that room full of prostitutes, marginalized people in a prayer and after he had finished praying the man who ran the place said man what are you some kind of preacher or something and campolo said well yeah kind of and he said well what kind of church do you preach at and campolo said in a blash of rare brilliance he said i preach at the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three o'clock in the morning amen you know why because people are valuable Listen, black lives matter, and white lives matter, and brown lives matter, and rich lives matter, and poor lives matter, and Muslim lives matter, and Christian. Listen, every person matters and is valuable to God. You know, one of the reasons I think Jesus used this story of a coin is because in that day just like our day there's always a picture there's always a face on a coin in that day the coin bore the the image of the king the image of the king was imprinted on that coin and you know why you're listen you know why you're valuable you know why every person no matter how bad they've blown it no matter what they've done no matter who they've done it with no matter how much they've messed up in their life you know why every person is valuable because every person bears the image image of the king we're all created in the image of God people are valuable now scientists don't think people are very valuable not naturalist evolutionist I read a thing not long ago that said that our our, the value of a human body is less than ten dollars when you take all of the carbon and just the blob of protoplasm and oxygen that makes up our physical body, it amounts to something less than $10. That's what science, natural, evolutionary, materialistic, atheistic science says that you're worth just 10 bucks. But do you know what Jesus said? Listen to this. Jesus said the most important thing about you is not what you are physically or what you have materially, I know people who spend their whole life trying to accumulate a bunch of stuff because that's where they feel like their value lies. But that's not where your value lies. Listen, your value doesn't lie in the three gods that the world worships—beauty, brains, and bucks. That's not what makes you valuable. Jesus said it's your soul that makes you valuable. Matter of fact, He said, "What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but he lost his own soul?" You know what He was saying? He was saying you could take all the diamonds all the silver, all the gold, all the oil, all the riches of all accumulated human history and put it on this side of the room. And you can take a little eight-year-old girl who gave her life to Jesus this morning and put her on that side of the room. And Jesus said that side of the room would outweigh that side of the room because a soul is the most important thing that you possess. Listen to me, people are valuable. And I just want to tell you tonight, but no matter who you are or what you think about yourself or what other people have said about you. Maybe your mom told you that you were good for nothing or your dad said you'd never amount to anything. Or all your life people had made fun of you because of your maybe lack of education or maybe your race or maybe where you came from. Listen man, God says that you are valuable. He says you're valuable. People are valuable. But the second thing Jesus is trying to tell us is that people are lost people are lost you notice how many times Jesus talked about being lost he said the sheep got lost he said the silver got lost he said the sun got lost now people get lost for a lot of different reasons the sheep got lost because of directionlessness and foolishness and waywardness waywardness because that's what sheep do if you know anything about sheep in the bible they're dumb and they're defenseless and they're directionless and that's why the bible compares us to sheep and says all we like sheep have gone astray i've got a son i've got two sons dylan's 19 josh is 16 they both love jesus josh Feels called into the ministry. He's got a lot of purpose and a lot of focus in his life right now. He already leads a Christian band and they travel all over the Metroplex leading worship and he loves God. He feels called to preach. He's got a real sense of direction now, but it wasn't always that way. Matter of fact, when Josh was a little bitty boy, he couldn't focus on anything. He'd always wander off. I remember one year we were at Disney World enjoying Disney World and we were checking everything out and all of a sudden Gina said, Honey, where's Josh? And I looked over and Josh had a total stranger by the hand and was walking off because he was directionless and he would just, just go off. And that's why a lot of people are lost. That Listen to me. A lot of people in our lives, they didn't mean to get lost. They weren't trying to get lost but the things of the world and the attraction and the lure of what the devil has out there and let me just say man all the devil's shiny red apples are full of rotten worms and sin nobody ever intends to get lost nobody ever intends to be a drug addict I never thought I'd be a teenage alcoholic with a felony record I never intended to get lost but that's the way the devil works on us and sin when it's finished with you takes you further than you ever thought you'd go and keeps you longer than you ever thought you'd stay and makes you pay more than you ever thought you'd pay that sheep didn't mean to get lost but it thought the green the grass was greener and sooner or later it just began to wander off from the rest of the of the sheep and from the shepherd and it wasn't long before it was lost way out the, the sheep got lost because of foolishness the coin got lost because of carelessness What used to be so precious and valuable to that young lady evidently became very commonplace to her and what she should have prized and folded and put away in its own place and protected became careless to her and so she would take it off and just pitch it over to the side until the next time that she was going to wear it to some important event and one day in her carelessness she pitched that headband over the side and one of those silver coins got jostled from its setting and rolled off into the floor and it was lost. I know a lot of people like that, listen, they're lost because they're careless with their soul. might be some of you this here tonight. You don't intend to go to hell. Look at me, listen, but you don't intend to go to hell. Matter of fact, you intend to go to heaven and you intend that one day, because you know what I'm saying is true, and one day you're going to give your heart to Jesus. You're going to do it tomorrow. You know the devil's biggest lie is tomorrow. Because tomorrow never comes. I know people who've been saying, I'm going to get saved tomorrow. They've been saying that for the last 30 years. Careless with the most important and valuable thing that they have, which is their soul. And they say, tomorrow I'll get saved. And tomorrow I'll give my life to Christ. And I'll do it tomorrow. I'll put it off until tomorrow. But tomorrow never comes in their life. Thank you, dear brother. They're they lost because of their carelessness. And then some people get lost like the son who was lost because of willfulness and, and rebelliousness. He just flipped his dad the finger and said, man, I don't care what you say. I don't want to hear you anymore. I'm sick and tired of hanging around at this house. And I could care less what you or mom have to say. And I'm going to do what I want to do. Give me what's mine. I want what I want, and I want it now. And before long, he was in a pig pen. He probably left the house with a big fancy ring, but he had to pawn it. He probably had a custom-made robe, but he had to sell it. He probably had some fine shoes, but he had to get rid of those. And when his money was gone, then all of his friends were gone. And he wound up doing something that no Jewish boy would ever do. Feeding pigs in a pig pen. He was lost because of his own waywardness and his willfulness and his rebelliousness. But then there was another son. Listen, the sibling was more lost than the the son. And he was lost because of callousness. He never left the father's house you know, I, that reminds me of a lot of religious people. And this is the point that Jesus is really trying to make to the scribes and the Pharisees. Watch this. Who never missed church. Who fasted. Who prayed. Who gave their money. They never drifted away from God. Listen, on the, on the outside, but on the inside, they never really knew the heart of God. But you know some people are going to die and go to hell not because of all the bad things they've done, but because of all the good things they've done. Because they think that they've done this and done this and done that. That somehow they're able to earn God's love and God's favor. And somehow they're full of self-righteousness that they feel like that they're better than other people. And surely one day God will weigh the good and the bad. And their good will outweigh their bad. And so they'll earn their way to heaven by their own self-righteousness. And I think, listen, those are the hardest kind of people to reach of all doesn't take a lot of convincing to a prostitute to know that she's lost or to a drug addict to know that he's lost. The hardest people I've ever tried to convince they're lost is church people. Church people who come to church all the time, but they never really have the heart of God. People are valuable. People are lost. Let me say this. Jesus was also trying to tell us that people can be found. Amen? People can be found. The sheep was found and the silver was found and the sun was found people can be found and when people are found there's a great sense of rejoicing matter of fact let me tell you what will set this church on fire is to have friend day every sunday where people are always coming to jesus the lost are always being found people are always being baptized my wife and i pastored a big southern baptist church in the metroplex in the suburban area it was every pastor's dream as a matter of fact, when they called me to be their pastor, they said, now we want you to know that we've just built a $10 million facility and it's all debt-free and we have a million dollars in the bank and this is how much we're going to pay you and everything we've got on 60 acres and we just want you to come be the pastor. And so my wife and I, because we saw what could be listen the influence that that church could have had on an entire city an entire side of the metroplex for the gospel's sake so we said well we'll come and and we when we come we said we want to go after the lost and they all shook their head and said that's wonderful and I think what they meant is let's go after the lost as long as they make six-figure incomes and they're white and they ride the have this right kind of car and live in the right kind of houses So I got there and became the pastor and when I got there the church had about eight or nine hundred people and six months later it had over two thousand people but they were evidently the wrong kind of people because we started reaching the community had changed. We began to reach beautiful people of color and low-income people and single moms and teenagers and drug addicts. We baptized almost 300 people in less than a year. And instead of rejoicing that all these people were coming home, the church got upset and angry because they didn't want to be a church. What they wanted to be was a country club with a steeple on top. So they began to say, we're not sure if you're the kind of pastor that we want. And finally, the Holy Spirit of God said to me, son, you, you, you're dismissed now. These people have no heart for the kind of people that my son died for. And so my wife and I left that church and we didn't, we didn't know what we were going to do. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, well, I want you to, listen, he said, I want you to start a church for all the people that all the other churches don't want to have anything to do with. And that ain't hard to do nowadays, by the way. So, Gina and I started out in a living room. We started all over. And our church began to grow. We moved from a living room to a rec center, and from a rec center to a school, and then from a school into the lowest income area in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, a majority minority city where there were 15 acres and 80,000 square foot of building, that a church that was once a great, thriving, vibrant church in that area, but it was a white church in the 70s, and the neighborhood began to change, and these people didn't know how to reach the people, and I'm not sure they wanted to reach the people, so there was white flight, and it got down to 50 older white people, and the pastor said, man, I'm going to retire. If you'll just come take this facility, then we'll just give it to you. And so Gina and I took our folks and we moved over to this area. We began to evangelize that area. The first Sunday that we ever had church in that property, somebody stole a a car right off the parking lot. And I said, praise God, this is exactly where we need to be. So we started reaching the people. Listen. God began to fill our church up with beautiful people of color. We called our church a BMW church. Black, Mexican, and white. Amen. It was a third black, a third Hispanic, and a third white. We started reaching gang bangers. Matter of fact, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram came and did a front page article on our church because we won a young man named Savando to Jesus. And Savando was a gang leader in Arlington, Texas. I, I saw a news story in the newspaper about this young man who was standing at the urinal in a nightclub and a rival gang member had a butcher knife and came up behind Savando and shoved it through his head. There was a hit on Savando's life and somehow he miraculously was able to survive. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, go tell Savando about Jesus. He's ready to be saved. And so I started asking around the neighborhood. I said, have you ever heard this guy named Savando? It was in the paper. And it didn't take me long to find out where Savando lived because everybody knew Savando. And so I finally found his house. It was a little ramshackle house. I knocked on the door, took a soul winner from our church with me. And I knocked on the door. His little Mexican mama came to the door. She didn't speak any English. I said, I've come to pray for Savando. She thought I was a priest. She said, come in, Father. I said, God bless you, my child. And I walked right in. I walked into the back. I started talking to Savando. I was there 10 minutes, and Savando prayed to receive Jesus. And two weeks later, he was baptized at our church, and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram found out about it. They came and took a picture and did an article about our church reaching prostitutes and gangbangers. In seven years, the church grew From a living room to over a thousand people through evangelism. Not through trading church members with all the other churches. Listen, Jesus has called us to be fishers of men. Not keepers of the aquarium. Amen. And so we were reaching all these people. And there's great... Our church was called the Fellowship of Joy. You know why? Because you know where the joy is at? The joy. Jesus said there's joy when some sheep comes home. There's joy when some silver is found. There's joy when a son who was dead is, comes alive. That's where the joy's at. Tommy came home. Tommy was a male prostitute downtown Fort Worth. You know what I told our church? I said, we're not just going to talk about reaching the lost... We're going to go reach the lost. We're going to get a bus. We didn't have enough money to get a bus, so another church bought us a bus. And our church didn't ever have any money. I mean, when I saw people walk through the door, I knew that God was going to have to use us to help meet their needs, not them meet our needs. And so I got a bus, and and I got some faithful people, and they started driving the bus downtown Fort Worth, picking up all the street people and bringing them to our services There was a young man by the name of Tommy. Tommy was a male prostitute. Tommy was homosexual he sold his body on the streets of Fort Worth and one of our soul winners said Tommy come on man you got to come to church and Tommy said man your church doesn't want to have anything to do with me and they smiled and said man you don't know our church you're welcome at our church Tommy came to our church and after about two or three times of coming Tommy's heart was open he got saved listen to this listen Tommy got saved he got baptized our church bought him an apartment or at an apartment for six months And filled it with furniture. And Tommy became the head usher at our church. And he's living for Jesus to this day. Listen, the lost can be found. Amen. Servando came home and Tommy came home. I could go on and on. But I've never had a problem loving sinners. I've always loved sinners. Listen to me. Listen to me, church on the rock north. Be a church with a heart for the people that Jesus has a heart for. And you won't have any problem filling up this building because people are hurting and people feel desperate and they're lost because of their own foolishness or because of neglect or because of their own waywardness. But they're waiting for somebody to tell them about Jesus so that they can come home. I've never had a problem. Any of my ministry loving sinners... I was on the First Baptist Church of Dallas staff back in the mid-80s, and that opened a door for me to begin to do a lot of traveling as a young preacher. I was 25 years old. And suddenly, because of the opportunities that God began to give me in the Southern Baptist Convention, I was preaching at the largest churches in the Southern Baptist. Eric Coley's here. He used to travel with me. He's from First Southern Baptist in Dale City, a church where the auditorium set 7,000. God used us there and God used us in football stadiums across America. They said, this young man is the next Billy Graham. I met my wife when I was out preaching one of these crusades. I looked over on the piano, and there was this beautiful, dark-headed girl just playing the piano and singing. And I said, man, who's that? And somebody said, well, she's a senior in college at OBU. She loves Jesus. I looked at her. The spirit of hubba hubba came on me. Amen. I said, I'm going to marry that girl. We got married. Six months later, we were traveling all over America and seeing thousands and tens of thousands of young people from everywhere walk of life, drug addicts, and and everything imaginable. And I never had a problem loving sinners except for one. My mama was 15 when she got pregnant with me. My dad was a truck driver. I never saw my dad. I never knew my dad growing up. But my mom started running a bar when she was about 19, And I'd wait up for my mama. I loved my mama. My mama to this day was one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. And my mama walked through that door. Every head would turn. My mama had a dynamic. She had a charisma. She looked like a movie star. And I'd wait up to see my mama because I loved my mama. And sometimes it'd be one or two o'clock in the morning. And I'd wait up When my mama would come through the door. I'd run and throw my arms around her waist. And I'd say, Mama, I love you. And I... Smell the alcohol on her breath and hear the slur in her speech, and she'd say, "Son, I love you. Just go on back to bed." And I'd look behind my mom, and there'd be a man that I knew wasn't my daddy. And I saw that time after time after time after time. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. I'd be driving my bicycle out in our street, and the older kids would come and push me down and say, "Your mama's a whore." I saw your mama with this man or this man. That's the way I grew up. And because of the things that I was exposed to as a little boy, including my own sexual abuse, I began to have a real bitterness and a real hatred toward my mom because of all the things that she had allowed to happen in her life that had an effect on my life. And that bitterness and that anger and that sense of shame didn't go away after I got saved. My wife and I come from two different worlds. I was raised in a bar. My wife's daddy's a Baptist preacher. He's 85 years old now, still preaching her mom went to seminary my 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 brother-in-law my wife's sister's husband pastors the largest southern baptist church in the state of kentucky they all went to seminary they've all loved god all their life my my wife's brother pastors a very prestigious southern baptist church in fort worth they're 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 awesome people they love jesus and when i got married to my wife i thought man i finally got a family now because i was so ashamed i have two half sisters neither one of my sisters ever knew their daddy. I was ashamed of my mama. I didn't want to be around my mama. Because my mom was on her fourth husband and again, she was running a bar and again, she was unfaithful to him and it was just a mess and I never wanted to be around my mom. you Listen to me. I was a big shot Southern Baptist preacher. I preached in 1992 the Southern Baptist Convention in the same stadium where the Indianapolis Colts, Colts play football. They said this young man is the next Billy Graham. This is the next up and coming Southern Baptist evangelist. I was a big shot preacher but I was a scab and a parasite and a hypocrite i let months go by i wouldn't even talk to my mom and then months turned into years and my wife and i'd be in a crusade and the phone would ring at three o'clock in the morning and i answered the phone and it was my mom she was drunk she said i know i've embarrassed you and your sisters and i don't think i can take it anymore i'm going to end my life and i got so sick of hearing that i finally said well try not to make a mess mom and i just hung up the phone and then i didn't answer the phone anymore I didn't want to be around my mom. I didn't want my mom to see me. I didn't want to see my mom. I didn't want Gina's parents to know what my mom was like and how my mom was living her life. I'd tell my wife every now and then, just send mom some money. I wanted to soothe my own conscience. But I didn't want to see my mom. The very thought of her made me sick because I was a self-righteous hypocrite and I thought I was better than my own mama. One Sunday I was preaching We've always reached a lot of young people. Man, I love young people. And I was preaching and I gave the invitation. And I saw in the back of the audience a little girl. She was probably 15, 16 years old. And she pushed out and began walking forward. And I could tell she was pregnant. And obviously she wasn't married. And I started weeping i said sweetheart just come on that's right just come on just come on jesus loves you and jesus accepts you and jesus has grace and mercy for you and she started walking down that long aisle at that big baptist church the holy spirit of god spoke to my heart and said that's your mama son that's just like your mama And then the Holy Spirit of God said, Son, why is it that you have compassion and mercy and love and forgiveness and kindness for every drug addict, every prostitute, every sinner on the face of the earth, no matter how bad they've been, but you can't even love your own mama. The Holy Spirit said to me, Son, if you don't get this thing right with your mama, I'm going to take my hand off your life and I'm not going to be able to use you like I want to use you. I fell on my face at the altar that morning in my own invitation. I got up. I went home. I said, honey, I I just got to be alone with God. I went in a prayer closet. I shut the door. I got alone with God. And the Holy Spirit said, pick up the phone and call your mom. I hadn't talked to my mama in months. And I picked up the phone and called my mom. And when she answered the phone, I started weeping. I said, mom, my mama was so proud of me my mama ran a bar and she would tell all the girls that worked for her and her husband in Shreveport she'd say I know my life's not right and I know my life's a mess and and don't look at me but she said I have a son she was so proud of me and she was so proud of Gina and our little girl at the time Sarah she'd say I have a son and he's a preacher he's a good man he loves God and his wife is so beautiful and and my wife grew up in church but she never had a religious bone in her body my wife's always loved my mom and accepted my mom and my mom said son is everything okay and i said no mom i gotta come see you and she said well is gina gonna come is sarah gonna come and i said no it's just gonna be me mom she said i'd love to see you son i miss you the next morning early i got in my car and got on i-20 and started heading east Shreveport, I exited on Line Avenue, went down to Line and Urie, where at that time there was a Shoney's. And when I walked in, my mama was already there. There were two cups of coffee sitting there at the booth at Shoney's. And I sat down, and when I looked into my mama, I started crying. I said, Mom, I've come to ask you to forgive me. Because all these years, I haven't loved you like Jesus loves you. And my mom started crying. And she said, son, I know, I know what, how ashamed you are. My mom knew how I felt about her. She said, I know you've been ashamed of me and I know I've made bad choices and I know I've messed my life up. And then she told me something she had never told me before. My mama grew up literally in a bar, in a barn out in the country. Her dad and mom were called barflies, white trash. Sometimes they'd be gone for a week at a time, leave their little eight-year-old and down stair-step kids all by themselves to fend for themselves. By the time my mama was eight years old, she knew how to cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner for her sister and two brothers. My mama made it to the eighth grade. She never would have made it that far if it wouldn't been for a Christian bus driver who'd pull up on the dirt road and walk all the way down to the barn where my mom lived behind her grandparents' house and wake the little dog kids up and say you kids get up and get ready i don't want you to miss school and he'd come back and pick them up my mom wouldn't have made it to the eighth grade if it wouldn't been for that man thank god for him my mama said son one day your grandfather who was a very skilled carpenter but he never had a dime because he drank up every penny that he ever made he was an alcoholic my grandmother was an alcoholic And she said, son, one night my father, your grandfather, came home and he had his construction workers with him and he had been drinking and they were drunk. And my dad said, she said, I was 12 years old at the time. And my dad said, if you want to have sex, there's my daughter. You can have sex with her. Let me tell you something. Don't you ever judge anybody unless you know where they've been in their life. Don't you go by these kids who you say, look at those kids, look how messed up they are, and look how tatted up they are, and look how they wear their pants down. Listen, who cares about all that, man? Jesus loves them, and you don't know what they've been through in their life. And by the way, you're no better than they are. There's not anybody in this room that's any better than anybody else you're not any better than the biggest prostitute in beaumont texas tonight all of us are some dirt held together with moisture and if it weren't for the grace of god we'd all be in hell right now nobody is any better than anybody else My mama said, son, those men hurt me and they took my innocence. And she said, from that day to this, I've never known how to relate to a man except by giving my body away to him. And she said, I know that I have hurt you and I know that I've hurt your sisters. And then she said this, she said, sometimes I wonder if God even loves me anymore. If Jesus even knows who I am and I said mom Jesus loves you more than he loves as much as he loves anybody else and I said mom you." she said do you think I could still be saved I said mom you would have been saved a long time ago if it wouldn't have been for me I've been the problem I've been the self righteous I've been the hypocrite and I said mom Jesus loves you and I'm so sorry will you forgive me and I took my mama's hand that day in a in Shreveport and saw my mama my alcoholic mama my unfaithful mama open up her heart and give her life to jesus and from that day on my mama's life completely and totally changed by the power of god my mama left the abusive relationship she was in and she moved over to dallas fort worth where gina and i were starting the church that i told you about and my mama listen to this my mama was she my mama wasn't anything like some of you Pastor's been telling some of you for weeks, we're going to have friend day. We're going to have friend day. You didn't bring a friend today. You didn't even try to bring a friend today. Matter of fact, you come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and lift your hands and praise the Lord and dance around and then walk out and let people die and go to hell all around you because you don't care about the lost, you scab and parasite. My mama was not like you. Thank God. She never came to church by herself. My mama would bring Sunday after Sunday. She would fill up row after row after row of the craziest looking, wildest looking people that you have ever seen in your life. And then she'd come up to me and she'd say, Now, son, she'd say, Son, you see that lady over there? I know she's hard, and I know she looks like she's she's just like I used to be, son. She's an alcoholic, and I know she smells like cigarettes, and she hadn't been to church and she's nervous about being here. But she said, Son, that lady needs Jesus, and I finally got her to come and she's here. And then she'd say, So, so talk about the love of God today and be nice today. And so, and then she'd say, See that other guy? He I know he's had it up we had one guy in our church that had so many face piercings he looked like he fell face forward in a tackle box we made him the chairman of the deacons amen we wanted everybody to know he had a purple mohawk we wanted everybody to know that no matter who you are you're welcome you're valuable here and she'd say, see that guy? He's lost. See that other guy? he I know he looks he looks different. He's gay. He, he's never been to church in a long time because he doesn't think the church likes people like him. And I told him, you're a different kind of preacher and this is a different kind of church. And so they're all here. And week after week after week after week, I saw my mama take one person after another after another by the hand and lead them to Jesus. You know why? Because the one who is forgiven much is the one who loves Jesus. Jesus much. My mama became the greatest evangelist I've ever known in my life. One day I was in my office at the university where I was serving as the dean and professor of evangelism. And the phone rang and it was my wife. And she said, Scott, if you want to see mom, you better hurry. You see, about five years before A year after my mama moved over, she wasn't feeling well one day, and so she went to the doctor. And the doctor ran some tests and then called us in, and we were all there, the family, and the doctor said, Miss Gail, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you've got cancer, and it's the bad kind. And there's not a whole lot we can do about it. You know what my mama did? My mama looked at the doctor and smiled and said, that's okay, doctor. I know Jesus. And then she said, doctor, do you know Jesus? I mean, that's the way my mama rolled, man. I mean, she told everybody about Jesus. And over the next five years, I saw my beautiful, beautiful, beautiful mama. Hair as black as a raven's wing. Beauty, full of vitality and life so charismatic I saw her hair fall out because of the radiation and the chemo and her body just begin to shrivel away and waste away but my mama never lost her joy my mama never quit coming to church my mama would come to church with an oxygen tank some of you won't come to church if it rains my mama had cancer and she never missed church And they'd bring her down and she'd sit there and she'd smile and the best she could she'd lift her hands and she'd sing. She loved worship. She loved Jesus. Jesus had changed her life. She was lost and then she was found. I saw my mom's health deteriorate to the point where my Wife said, Honey, you better hurry. And I got in my car and drove as fast as I could to the little little place where my mama was living. Listen, my mama died. She didn't have anything, but she had everything because she had Jesus. And I walked in and there were my two half sisters and my wife, and there was the lady from hospice, and she was crying more than any of us because you see, Miss Gail had introduced her to Jesus, and she loved Miss Gail. And we all stood around my mama's bed. My mama loved singing. Her favorite song was a song that says Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Because my mama had found the answer in Jesus that changed her life. And so my mama wanted us to just gather around her bed we made a circle and began to sing that old song and I looked over and my mama was in and out of consciousness but I could see her lips moving as we sang that song Jesus is the answer and the glory of God began to fill that room and I saw my mama's lips and (sighs) (sighs) when my mama opened her eyes she saw Jesus my mama's in heaven. My, uh, my alcoholic, prostitute, unfaithful mama is in the same heaven as the mother of Jesus as Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, as my mother-in-law, who I don't think ever sinned one time in her whole life. My mom's in the same heaven as those people are, not because my mama was good, but because God is good. Not because of what my mama did, but because of what Jesus did for her. And I'm here to tell you today that no matter how bad you've blown it, you're valuable to God, and no matter how lost you are, you can come home Because Jesus loves you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this place and nobody's looking around. Is there anybody here that has a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter? Is there anybody here who has people in your life, maybe like me, and they have hurt you and wounded you deeply? My mama was like one out of three women in America today who had been sexually abused. One out of three, I read it recently, one out of three women in America have been sexually molested. You're somebody that's hurt you and you've been carrying that. Man, I was a preacher. But I got to be honest with you, I, I didn't really have joy in my life like I needed to have joy matter of fact a lot of what I preached I preached out of such anger and such hurt until I learned to forgive my mama I gotta tell you man you gotta forgive by faith it's not a thing of feeling it's a thing of faith and I'm wondering is there anybody in this room who would say Scott I got a prodigal daughter I got a prodigal son maybe it's a prodigal mama I had a prodigal mama prodigal dad There's somebody in my life that's lost. Scott, I want him to be saved. You know that daddy. I'm convinced he prayed all day, every day. God, bring my boy home. God, bring my boy home. That's why when the son started coming home, the daddy saw him afar off. You know why? Because I believe every day the daddy, after he got off his knees praying for his son, he got up as an act of faith and went to the window and started looking to see if his boy was coming home. I believe God wants to bring your boy home. God wants to bring your daughter home. My mama got home, came home, but I had to get my own heart right with God first. I wonder if there's anybody in this room that would say, Scott, I've got somebody in my life who I love and they're lost, but I want them to be found. If that's you, would you lift your hand up all over this room? I've got somebody in my life that's lost, but I want them to be found. Let me ask you a question. As an act of faith, Would you just slip up out of your seat and come and join me at this altar right now on your knees before God? Just crying out, God, I'm praying for my son. I'm praying for my daughter. I'm praying for my mama. I'm praying for my daddy. Oh, God. Some of your people have hurt you, they've hurt you deeply somebody molested you somebody ran off on you somebody did you dirty And man every time you think about you just get so angry you just want to punch him in the face i want to tell you that tonight god wants to set you free from that because carrying bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart it's not going to affect them it's going to affect you I believe there are people who could be healed tonight physically if you just forgive somebody. Just forgive them by faith and I want to help you know how to do that. If you're here tonight and you got somebody that you need to forgive, would you just get up out of your seat and just come and join us right now at the altar? Just come on right now. Might be your own mama, might be your daddy. Somebody that you love and that they've hurt you. Just get up and come on man. Let God set you free. And I want to ask the rest of us, if you've got a friend down here, even if you don't know somebody down here, but you've got a concern and a burden, why don't you just get up and come kneel around them and lay hands on them and begin to pray that God will help them. Just come on right now. Just come on right now. Just come begin to pray for them. Don't let them be here alone. And then I want to speak to many of you who are here and you're lost. Maybe you're lost because of your own foolishness or maybe you're lost because of your own waywardness or maybe you're lost because you're just neglectful or maybe you're a church person. You've been in the Father's house but you don't know the Father's heart. And you don't really know Jesus but God wants to save you tonight and bring you home. If you don't know Jesus, you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want to pray with you right now. Matter of fact, there are people on their knees right now that are praying for you. And I believe the Father's looking over the banister of heaven and just saying, why don't you come home? Just come home. Jesus died for you. He died on the cross, a bloody cross. He poured out His blood on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. And then He rose from the dead and He's alive. He's alive, man. And His arms are open wide saying, come home, come home, come home. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, why don't you pray with me? from your heart. Just cry out to God. You say, well, I don't know what to say. Then I'll help you right now. Matter of fact, we'll all help you. And we'll all pray with you right now. Because the Bible says in our heart we believe and with our mouth we confess that Jesus is Lord. And there are people on their knees right now praying for you. And I'm going to ask you to pray. Matter of fact, I want us all to pray out loud. And many of you for the first time to give your heart to Jesus. So let's pray this simple prayer of commitment to Christ right now. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I want us to pray together right now. All of us out loud from our heart. Just say, oh God, tonight I want to come home. I thank you, Father. Come on, pray it like you mean it. I thank you, Father, for loving me. Even though I'm a sinner and even though I'm lost, tonight I want to come home. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross and pay for my sin. And then that he rose from the dead and he's alive. And Jesus, tonight I give you my life. I trust you as my Savior and I want to follow you and I want to live for you until I die or until you come again. And I really mean it. Save me tonight, Lord Jesus. I really mean it. In Jesus' name. Now heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this place. Is there anybody in this room that prayed that simple prayer with me and meant it? If that's you, would you just look up at me right now if you prayed with me? Tonight, is that you, buddy? Come here. Get up and come here. Come here. Come home. Is that you? Come on. Come home. Come home. Come home. home. Anybody else? Just get up. Come on. Come home. Is there anybody else? Come on, young man. Come on, young lady. Pastor, here's a a young man. wants to come home right here. Is that your son? Praise God. Like a son. Yeah, your grandson. This lady right here is coming home. Praise God. Praise God.